it's been said that uh, every generation believes that uh, it's living through the most challenging times that have ever been. You can look back over the last 100 years, 200 years, and put ourselves in our ancestors' shoes. Imagine what it was like living through the Industrial Revolution or challenges of colonialism, enslavement, challenges of war, threat of nuclear war, Great Depression, So our times are faced with our own unique challenges, the climate crisis, ongoing global pandemic. It's totally turned our way of life upside down. Killed millions of people and taken so many loved ones from us separated us from each other, increased a sense of isolation and alienation that was already so debilitating for so much of our modern society and world. And then on top of that, you add in the political polarization and the rise of fundamentalism and the grappling with the history of violence and oppression that the murder of George Floyd has brought to the forefront of public consciousness for the move through the movement for black lives, but really extending to so much else in terms of indigenous rights, land theft, the really powerful forces that are present in our day-to-day lives on some level, whether or not we're consciously aware of it. Much of the time, perhaps we are consciously aware of it, you know, putting on a mask, trying to keep distance from people, especially with the surge and Omicron that's happening right now. But even when we're not consciously aware of it, uh, my sense at least is that, you know, many of us are living with kind of a baseline level of stress and anxiety and, and exhaustion at this point from the kind of multiple intersecting uh, traumatic situations that we're navigating right now in the world. It's a lot, yeah. I wonder how each of you is doing, you know? We were all together in a room, we might pause here and, you know, get together in little groups of three or four and just share, like, how's your heart? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how are you getting by? What's, what's supporting you these days? What's weighing on you, right? It's important to be able to be real with one another about that so that we feel less alone with what we may be carrying. I know for me in this particular, I don't know if you can call it work, but this sort of way of life that I've stumbled into of sharing meditation teachings, you know, I feel really lucky and blessed to get to be in spaces like this and um, 
share and connect. It's, it's very nourishing for me. Um, so that's a real gift that we're able to get together and that you're offering your time and your practice to all of us. I think that this practice that the Buddha discovered and shared, this whole path that he taught, has a particular and unique gift to play, a gift to offer and role to play in the challenges that we're facing today. There is so much happening that's hard. And all of the beauty and goodness of life are still here too at the same time. The sun still shines, the the flowers still bloom, babies are still born, people still fall in love. You know, we're still able to be generous and give to each other to show compassion or tenderness for one another's pain. So just be present with the whole range of experience that comprises a human life. And just the the exquisiteness of allowing ourselves to feel the fullness of what it is to live in a world of change and beauty with this kind of magical array of sensory experience and then the whole realm of the mind. I I wanna reflect tonight on one particular aspect of what the Buddha's teachings have to offer during these times. And it's, we've started exploring it a little bit already in the meditation. And for me, in some sense, it's an answer to the, to the question, what's needed to meet what we're living through? Like, what do we need? Not just to get through it, right? Not just to like hunker down and wait it out. Although, of course, sometimes we just do the best we can. It's all we can do. But to actually meet what's happening. Yeah. And what is it to meet something? It means to have a relationship with it, to get to know it. And when the heart is free from the obscurations of stress and fear and anger and hate, to actually see what we can offer, to respond, to be available to life, to participate. So there's so much that we need to meet what's happening, to be in relationship with it and respond. We need balance, we need clarity, we need resilience, love and compassion. We need calm, nourishment, steadiness. We need patience. We need joy, laughter, beauty. One of the insights that the Buddha had was that we can shape our own mind, that we can shape our own consciousness. There's so little that we have control over in the world. We have some influence, right? There's certain things that we can affect and influence. 
and the forces that govern our lives are so far beyond any one of us individually. Perhaps the domain that we have the most influence over is here, is this heart and mind. which is the receiving antenna. It's, it's, the, it's the sensitive re- receptor that experiences the world. And that's why there's a potential for freedom. Because the world will, be, will just be the world. It'll do what the world does. But how we experience it whether we experience the the pain and the sorrow, the injustice of the world and get broken, embittered, lost, dried up, overwhelmed, or whether we experience the hardships, the heaviness, the injustice of the world and rise to meet it with compassion, with tenderness, with strength, with love, with possibility, with hope, with vision. That's about what's in here. That's about what we bring to the moment. That's about how we train our own heart and mind. And so in the Buddhist uh, teaching, in the, in the Buddha's path and understanding that that rises out of the the context of um, Asian and East Asian culture and tradition and thought, the heart and the mind are not separate. In the the Western uh, philosophy, we we separate the emotions and the heart from the mind and thought. And in um, Buddhist psychology and much of Asian thought and philosophy, heart and mind are one in the dharma it's called the chitta chitta and it's the chitta that is liberated that is freed the heart mind so one of the most um some of the properties of this heart mind are that it's malleable it's not fixed we can shape it one of the often quoted lines of the Buddha, he said, whatever the mind frequently thinks about and ponders, that will become its inclination. Whatever we spend our time dwelling on, we can get really good at that. Another analogy the Buddha gives, he says, this heart and mind, it's like the most fertile soil you can imagine. Picture, take your your tropical paradise of choice with rich, deep soil, lots of rain and sunshine, all of the nutrients and conditions needed to grow anything. He said, that's our minds are like that. And whatever seeds you plant, it's going to grow. So this is universal wisdom, right? We listen to this and we go, ah, as you sow, so shall you reap. This is universal wisdom. It's a certain property of human 
consciousness. Buddha didn't create it, he discovered it, as many others have. So the question is, what seeds are we planting? How are we training? How are we shaping our consciousness? This sensitive, intelligent, mysterious capacity we have for awareness, to experience life, to connect, to receive and respond to the world. What are we doing with it? We're always practicing something. So I'm really fond of saying, uh, because it's something that I continually need to learn and teach myself, you know, if you spend every day feeling stressed, rushing, feeling frustrated, guess what? You're going to get really good at being stressed, frustrated, and rushing. That's some of my conditioning to rush, to push, to stress out about things. I was looking through an old journal. Um, I cleaned out a closet the other day, and I found this little notebook that I used to carry around. I used to journal a lot when I was in my 20s. I found this little journal, and I just opened it up to a random, random point. And I was recounting a conversation I had with a really good old friend of mine. Where he asked me, he said, how are you doing? How are you doing, man? And I said, I'm stressing. <laughs> and his response was, yeah, what else is new, bro? That's what you always do. And what do we always do? So the possibility of these teachings is that we can start making different choices with how we engage with our mind and the world. We can start placing our attention in a different way, in a different, different direction, so that we're starting to cultivate different seeds. We're always practicing something. So instead of practicing frustration, stress, fear, anxiety, overwhelm, exhaustion, pettiness, bitterness, revenge, jealousy, greed, anguish, despair. I mean, we can go to some pretty dark places as human beings, right? We can practice kindness for ourselves, and practice empathy for others. We can practice courage. We can practice energy, vitality. Doesn't mean pushing ourselves. It means just listening for where's my energy. Where is that vitality that I am imbued with as a human being? How do, I, how, do I, how do I steward it? How do I honor the energy that I have? So as a human being endowed with awareness, it's like this vast array of seeds that we're given. All these different qualities. Sometimes I call them energies because they have a particular kind of patterning or signature to them, certain thought pattern, certain way of seeing, certain feeling in the body, a certain, a certain impulse in, inside, which ones are we encouraging? There's, a, there's one set of these qualities or seeds or, or potentials that go in one direction. They go in the direction of suffering and stress, of dis-ease, entanglement, the Buddha called these unskillful, 
They lead to pain and hardship for ourselves and others. There's a whole nother set of qualities that go in another direction. They go in the direction of feeling uplifted, of, of goodness, of clarity, of joy, of, of nourishment and peace. There's another famous verse from the Dhammapada. The Buddha says, avoid what is harmful, cultivate the good and purify the heart mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. Just boils it all down to three things. Abstain from that which is harmful. Don't nourish those seeds. I say more about what I mean by that. Cultivate the healthy, healing, uplifting ones. Really pay attention to that. Put your energy into the goodness in your heart. Cultivate those qualities. Purify the heart and the mind. Learn to see clearly its nature so that little by little, slowly, we start to uproot the tendencies of confusion and greed and hatred that lead to so much pain and suffering in the world. How's everybody doing? You all with me? Cool. Okay. When I look down, I'm actually looking at you. I know it doesn't look that way, but that's what I'm doing. So how do we do this? How do we actually train the mind? Another, another favorite verse of mine, I shared this, I was just teaching this weekend for Insight San Diego. I shared this verse there. Um, also from the Dhammapada, irrigators channel water, fletchers straighten arrows, carpenters fashion wood. The wise train themselves. The wise train themselves. We can train the heart, mind, we can shape it. So the trajectory of the Buddhist path to awakening has a very, um, a very natural process that unfolds. It's, it's often likened to a seed growing. The, the blueprints for awakening are already here in our own consciousness. We just need to give them the right nourishment and the process will unfold. So, what is the right nourishment? It, it begins with creating an inner atmosphere of well-being, which starts with cultivating generosity, developing relationships of respect and value and care. It starts with um, living a life of non-harming, a life of integrity and virtue, where we're really paying attention to our actions and our words, even our thoughts, and trying to withdraw our, um, our energy from doing and saying things that hurt ourselves and others. We all make mistakes. It's a training. We just go in that direction. In that process, we cultivate these good qualities, these healing qualities. So how do we do this? I want to talk a little bit um, about my understanding of how we train the heart, how we shape it, how we enrich our inner atmosphere 
so that we can meet what's happening. So that we're not just, you know, putting the covers over our head. It just don't, I don't want to wake up today. <laughs> right. That's, you know, there's a time and a place for that. We all need to disengage, but eventually, right. We have to come out and deal with the world we're living in. So how do we do this? One of the first conditions, one of the first qualities to cultivate is a sense of aspiration, possibility. Doesn't matter where you get it from, okay? There has to be something inside that says, there's another way of doing this. I can learn, I can grow, I can feel more whole, more at peace, more resilient, more joyful, more connected. I can put down some of the heaviness I'm carrying. This is possible. How do we connect with a sense of possibility? The Buddha called this sadha. It's often translated as faith. It means trust in that little voice inside that says there's more to life than meets the eye. That little voice, it takes so many different forms. For some of us, it's just seeing a Buddha image and it's just like, wow, something stirs inside. For others, maybe it's other religious iconography. For others, maybe it's being out in nature and, and you see a sunset or a, an ancient redwood tree or the ocean and something inside just understands, oh, there's more here than I can see with these eyes, with this mind, and I'm part of it. And there's something deeper for me here in life. Maybe it's looking in your child's eyes or your spouse or your parent or your pet. Maybe it's listening to a piece of music or seeing a painting or, or, or tasting a strawberry in spring that's just so perfect. And it puts you in touch with something so much vaster than that strawberry. It doesn't matter where you get it from. How do we connect with a sense of possibility? That's the first step to healing, transformation and change on any level, whether we're talking about personal transformation, transforming a relationship or social change. There has to be a sense of possibility. There's another way here. Because the future isn't written. It's shaped by our actions here and now. And that means that every day, every moment is a new beginning with new possibilities. If we're paying attention. So we start there. Cultivate a sense of possibility. Look for it. Listen for it nourish it. It won't grow by itself. Again, one of the insights the Buddha had is that we can choose what we pay attention to. So right now, if I suggest that you feel the weight of your body sitting on the chair or on the floor, can you do that? 
And now can you come back to seeing my face or hearing my voice? There you go. You just proved it. <laughs> you chose where you put your attention. It's very basic. We do it all the time, but we overlook how profound that capacity is in terms of its potential to shape the mind. Because the mind and the heart are shaped continually by what we pay attention to. Brief aside, this is the reason social media, YouTube, and the rise of fundamentalism is so insidious because the algorithms end up catering, right, to the things that grab our attention and shape our thought processes and our feelings in a certain way. It's because of the malleability of the heart and the fact that our attention can go in different directions. So we start to learn how to choose where we place our attention. And one of the first places to just begin to try to notice and encourage is this quality of aspiration, possibility. Another, another quality that's needed is discernment. Discernment is, a, is a, another way of saying wisdom. It's an aspect of wisdom. Discernment is the capacity to know what's needed. So you might be listening right now and hearing me talk about possibility and you're just not there. You're just like, sorry, I don't have any connection with that whatsoever. It's like so far out of reach. Okay. So what is within your reach? This is where discernment comes in. I'm not the authority on your mind. You are. So we have to use our own intelligence, our own discernment to assess where am I right now in my life, in my heart, in my day, in my week? What's needed? What's, what's the right thing to cultivate for me in this particular moment of this particular time of my life? So this is a process of listening. We have to come into relationship with the whole landscape of this moment which includes our thoughts and feelings and personal history and the things we've lived through. And it includes the gestalt of this moment in history that we're all experiencing. We have to listen, what's needed? Maybe it's just to rest. Maybe it's just to put everything down and massage your feet while you listen to your favorite music, right? And really take it in not as an escape, not as a just shut it all off and make it stop, but as an act of compassion and wisdom that says, ah, this is what the heart needs right now. Maybe it's to reach out to a friend and take a walk and just talk. So we have to ask ourselves that question, what's needed right now? And if it's not clear, listen, give it time. If it's still not clear, ask someone else. What do you think I need? I'm lost. If they know you well, they'll help. Okay. I want to try to start to wrap this up here so we can have some time to talk about it. So we have to use discernment to choose what quality is needed to cultivate. One of the most essential is this sense of possibility, but it's not the only one, and it might not be what's needed for you right now. 
there's so many qualities we can cultivate. I named some of them earlier this evening, patience, kindness, compassion, clarity, joy, beauty, humor, uh, play, honesty, integrity. So with each quality, whatever that quality is, there's a certain process. There's a certain process that we can engage in to connect with and strengthen it. So the first is connecting with the quality. We have to be able to touch it with our heart in some way to know that quality. Let's take patience as an example. Buddha said, patience paves the road to freedom. Pretty, uh, pretty epic statement. Patience paves the road to Nibbana, to awakening. So if we want to cultivate patience, first, there has to be some capacity to connect with patience, to know it, to remember it, or even just to imagine it to imagine what it might feel like to have a little bit of patience. So we find a connection with it, however small, and in whatever creative way we can. Again, this is the beauty of the psyche, is that there's this whole field, this whole array to play in. There's memory, there's imagination, there's poetry, there's art, there's mystery, there's ritual you find your language, find your way of of patience. Remember a time that you felt patient. Think of a person who embodies it. Picture a place that says patience, like here in the West Coast, several hundred miles to the North, more probably, is Mount Hood that big, big old volcano. Patience, just look at a mountain. Read a poem, okay, you get the idea. This is the first step is to touch the quality, to know it in some way. Then you have to direct the heart to come back to it again and again and again. You set an intention to cultivate it. I like, to, I like the practice, I call it bookends at the beginning and the end of the day. I often do this in my personal practice. You start the day, however you start your day, whatever kind of practice you do, set that intention. This is what I'm cultivating today. We're taking patience as the example. And you connect with that patience. You find that, that memory, that felt sense of it, however you know it or taste it, feel it. And then you you align your heart and mind and body's energies. You give all of your attention just for a moment to say this. This is how I want to be. This is what I want to come back to today. Again and again, is this quality. I want to know this quality, planting that seed, okay? 
giving all of your attention for one moment is like planting that seed. And then our task throughout the day is as often as possible to water that seed with our attention by just remembering it, patience. Doesn't matter if it manifests or not. That's not up to you. You might feel totally impatient. You just come back to just, I want to be patient. I'm not, but I really like to be patient. It's okay. Just be with what is. Use the other skills you have to find balance. So we set the intention and then we try to sustain it. We come back to it again and again as often as we can remember. End of the day, other bookend. You reflect. You look back. How did it go? Did I remember even once? And you celebrate the small successes. You really take them in. That, that waters the seed. So where we place our attention when we're aware matters. Are we steering in the direction of those unhelpful habits of body, speech, or mind? Sending more energy down that current and strengthening it. Or are we going in the other direction? Can we place our attention on aspects of our experience or our inner intention that are more uplifting, that are more aligned with how we want to live and send the energy down that channel? It's like water running down a hillside. It carves a groove. And at first, when the, when the water's been going down one channel, long time, it's hard to get that water to go in a different direction, right? you got to build a dam. That's restraint. You have to dig. You have to start to make a new channel. That's planting the intention. That's really connecting with what you want, how you want to live, what you want to cultivate. And then little by little, you start to send that water down the new channel. It's a little trickle at first. But the more you do it, the deeper that groove gets. And then the easier it gets. So the danger of all of this is to hear this and to think it means avoiding what's hard and pretending that everything is okay or trying to be you know, cheerful and perky all the time. This is not about disconnecting from reality or pretending that we live in a world of fantasy. It's about consciously choosing how we want to live what we want to bring to bear on this moment. And of course, this moment includes all of the difficulties, all of the hardships, all of the challenges. Everything is included. Nothing's left out. When we're down, when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed, can we allow that to be here? Really honor it. Okay. This is how I feel right now. It's hard. And then Bring those qualities to bear. Bring those healthy energies into the experience, the patience, the tenderness, the possibility. Remember our aspiration. Then the challenge, the pain, the hardship, it's not alone. We keep it company with mindfulness, with patience, with love. It's like gathering a whole a whole crew of inner allies when the difficulties come to have present with us. So I offer these thoughts for your reflection 
I hope it's helpful. What's not helpful, just leave it aside. Thank you for listening, for your kind attention. So we have a little bit of time now um, to just hear how this is landing with you. If you have questions, comments, um, just a few words on uh, how I'm thinking about doing this. So we are recording this. So if you prefer not to be recorded, just you can ask your question or comment in the chat and I'll read it. Or you can let me know if you want to come on live and I'll pause the recording so that your voice isn't recorded. Um, and so you could either virtually raise your hand in the Zoom meeting, if you know how to do that, the three little dots by your image or little reactions icon at the bottom of the window. Um, or you could type your question in the chat. Let me open up the chat so everyone, oh, it's open already, thanks. So everyone can see, see the questions. So what's coming up for you as you hear all this? What kind of questions or where does it feel like? Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, sounds good, Oren, but uh, what about this? Um, you know, where, where, do you, where do you find yourself stuck or what doesn't make sense? You know, what's confusing or opaque for you? Or do you want me to let people unmute themselves? Uh, sure. I, I would, I would like for folks to raise their hand first, mm -hmm. just so I have a little bit of sense of kind of mm -hmm. where it's coming from. Um, so, uh, one person is asking in the chat, what might you say about how to specifically abstain from the unskillful qualities? Great. Um, thank you. So <clears throat> there's a few different aspects to that. Um, the first is developing uh, a sensitivity to notice the difference, right? We have to train ourselves to discern how do we know which ones are, you know, not going to be helpful and which ones are going to be helpful. Sometimes it's really clear, but one of the challenges is that some of the unskillful qualities, excuse me, are pretty slippery. I mean, it's like, it feels like such a good idea, right? When we're greedy or want something because we're entranced with the desire, but you can start to recognize how it feels. There's a certain lack of clarity. The mind is a little bit blurry or there's a pressure or a kind of, you know, uh, churn inside or no, no, don't think about it. Just do it. Just do it. You can start to get a feel for um, the tone or the quality. So that's the first thing is discerning for you in your own body, in your own mind, how does it feel when the quality is marked with this wholesome, healthy, skillful energy and when it's unskillful energy? And that's defined by the result. The Buddha defines these not in an absolute terms necessarily, but skillful qualities are qualities that lead to the welfare, happiness, and peace of ourselves and others. Unskillful qualities lead to harm, pain, suffering, and stress for ourselves and others. So that means that in order to learn which ones are skillful and which ones are unskillful, we need to sustain our attention and track the cause and effect relationship in our life. What happens when I speak from this particular place inside? What happens when I act from this particular energy? You know, pay attention to how you feel when you hit send on that email and start to track which emails create difficulties and which ones don't. 
So that's the first step. The second step then, as you become more familiar with those, is restraint. There needs to be an energetic barrier to the pressure to, um, that the unskillful qualities come with because they come with pressure. There's a certain force behind them that will compel or impel us to speak or act. So we recognize how that feels, but then we actually have to counter that force in some way. So this could be breathing. This could be grounding your attention in your hands or your feet. Um, this could be counting to 10, right? It could be taking the precepts every day and then recollecting your commitment to non-harming, things like that. That's the second phase is this restraint. The third part is actually learning to inhabit that energy and metabolize it in some way. It's not about suppressing it. That doesn't work. It just comes back stronger later. So let's take a really benign example. Um, so I'm seeing a couple of different questions coming in here. I'm going to do my best to be a little bit more succinct here so we have time for those. But what I'm about to say might answer, just scanning at them a little bit of one of them. Let's take something relatively benign, like uh, wanting to, say, eat sweets. Maybe it's not relatively benign, depends. Um, you know, craving for food. So if you just push it away, it just comes back. You end up with that yo-yo, like binging and then not and so forth. So the restraint is just that initial impulse to just not do it. But then we actually have to be with the craving. We have to develop the capacity to feel and tolerate the discomfort of that inner pressure and observe it, get to know it. What we, what we find, if we can do that, is that it subsides on its own. We see its nature is impermanent and not personal. And then we start to develop another possibility, that these unskillful qualities and impulses as they arise, we don't have to act on them because we, we start to know in our bones, if I could just bear with this, it will settle, it will pass, it will, it will change because that's its nature. So th that's a little kind of overview of my understanding of the process, the unskillful qualities, how to work with them. Okay, another question. Can you talk about the difference between personal and collective or social aspiration? That is having a sense of possibility in the realm of the personal, but less of a sense of possibility on the collective level. Yeah. I'm just going to read the other question too so I can know what it is. Okay. Um, in the Buddhist tradition, we talk about different aspects of, of uh, aspiration or faith. We talk about um, initial faith, sometimes it's called borrowed faith. Um, we talk about what's the second stage? Um, I'm blanking on the word, but there's a kind of intermediate stage as it's, as it's developing. Um, and then there's what's known as verified faith or verified as where you know for yourself what's possible because you've seen and experienced it. So what I like about this and what's, what's interesting about it is that the first stage is sometimes, sometimes we borrow that aspiration from others. It's like, if I can't feel it, you can. So I'm just going to trust you and just kind of 
kind of ride off of your energy a little bit. I think there's something really valuable about this in the collective domain that it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to look around at what's happening and feel a sense of possibility. And there's a lot of a, a lot to say that we might not make it as a human species, you know, like we might not get our act together to avert the most drastic effects of climate change. Yeah. Um, so it's heavy. Um, so one, one way of, of relating to that, or I'll say two ways of relating to that. So one is to look for people who inspire you. So research, read, you know, connect with others, find people to follow on social media who are saying things that do give you a sense of aspiration. I'm intentionally not using the word hope because hope it often means placing our well being on an imagined future that's better than the present. And that's really tenuous position to be in. Aspiration is the sense that what I do today matters and affects the future, and I can steer in a direction, we can steer in a direction that's going to be better for our children and, our, and, and their children. So if you can't find that, look around for people who, who, who can and are, are sending out a message that you can connect with and borrow it until you can feel some of it yourself. That's one. The other thing here, the other aspect is equanimity. Equanimity is a profound sense of acceptance and balance in the face of the unknown. It arises from wisdom. So Joseph Goldstein, founding insight teacher, senior teacher in our Western insight meditation community, he talks a lot about taking the long view when it comes to these questions about like climate change and the pandemic and racial injustice and oppression. It's like you, we have, sometimes you have to take the long view, like geological time, really recognizing that like human existence is not the only game in the cosmos. And whatever happens in this little frenzy of releasing energy on planet Earth, it's a blip. It's a blip. And the, 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 the presence of conscious awareness is this miraculous occurrence in that blip in cosmic time. And so it's not that the suffering doesn't matter. That's not equanimity. That's cutting off. That's indifference. It's keeping it in perspective. It's recognizing that the movie of human existence is a very narrow frame and that we can balance it with a wider frame. And it's not to be pessimistic, but it's more to find another way of holding the immensity of not knowing where we're, where we're going and what's coming. So I hope that's helpful in some way and not depressing. <laughs> okay, last question. Bright faith. Yes, thank you, Joe. I think that's right. It's bright faith. I knew someone would know it. Good on you, Joe. Um, so one more question here, and uh, I'll do my best to respond in the time that's left. Uh, I live with a mate who is addicted to seeing the negativity of life. So just gonna pause there. So in terms of how I'm talking about the teachings tonight, you take that, what do we understand there? It's like 
this person's mind is, is trained to focus on that aspect of things. That's what they see. That's what they attend to. And that's the more they attend to it, the more it's what they see. They're stuck in that loop. Um, we call him the problem solver, trying to lighten his dark views. However, it's exhausting. How might you suggest I not absorb this daily influence? Hmm. I'm just taking in the what that must be like to, you know, be in contact with that heaviness and use the word dark like that, that energy of negativity or just always seeing that side of things. So because my mind kind of works in structures, uh, there are three different things that come to mind. Um, so one is you need to find, and this I think is the, really the heart of your question, you need to find a way to be with that in yourself. So we all feel that we all have that potential to notice, connect with, and dwell on what's heavy. What's well, hard in life. So the more you learn how to be with that energy in yourself, with compassion, with clarity, and with balance, maybe even with a little bit of humor, like you said, the more um, balance and space you're going to have from that energy in him. So meditate on it, consciously bring it up in your experience and then explore it. How do I relate to this? How far, how close, what pulls me in? Where do I get stuck? Where do I get afraid? Um, where do I spin out? Where do I cut off? What's helpful? Are there little tricks I can use like a phrase or an image or even a place in your body to reference, to, to find that right relationship with the heaviness because ultimately it's that sense of having a wider perspective that yeah okay that's true some of it maybe yeah and there's more the birds are singing the air is relatively clean today we can breathe there's no forest fires right now in california like you know or at least where i am so um maintaining that perspective, widening your view so that that energy isn't the only thing you're seeing. I think another aspect of that, finding your, your relationship to it is a kind of energetic. So really feeling the energetic boundaries of your body and feeling your separateness from your mate. And that's hard because when we're in that kind of a primary intimate relationship, we are so connected. And that's one of the reasons we're in the relationship is because we want that connection. And there's certain things where we're like, I don't want to connect with that part of you right now. So you need to be able to withdraw your, your energy physically, emotionally, psychically, and feel that sense of separation and that boundary between yourself and him, which might mean feeling the, feeling the, the, the boundary of your body, your skin, noticing the space between you, feeling your feet on the floor, things like that. So I said there were three things. That's the first one. Um, learning how to be with that energy in a way that is balanced and has perspective and so forth. 
I think the second is what we've been talking about tonight, which is turn up the volume on the uplifting qualities in yourself. Really just commit to that and try to nourish your heart so that the light is so bright that the shadow that he's casting doesn't doesn't affect it. It doesn't dim at all because you're so enriched with compassion and gladness and warmth. That's the second thing. The third thing is it could help to talk about it. (laughs) So it's great to make jokes, but if you haven't had a heart to heart about, Hey, I just noticed like there's this difference in how we relate to what's happening and you've got your way and I've got mine. And I want to find a way for us to honor that, that gives both of us space to be with the way what's happening in our own way and to not need to negate each other's way of relating. So, you know, if that's how he wants to do it, great. Like let him do that. But he, but to ask him to understand, like sometimes you want space from that and he's going to do that on his own and vice versa. So it could help to have a conversation about it and try to make some agreements about how you, how you want to navigate this difference in your personal style. So those are my thoughts. I hope it's helpful. Well, my friends, here we are at the end of our time. Thank you so much for for joining, for being here, for your practice. I wish we were in person so we could hang out a little and just chat afterwards. Like if we were at Insight Western Mass, you know, after the talk ended, some people would linger and we'd say hello. And so um, maybe I'll hang out for a few minutes. We'll stop the recording and anyone who wants to just say hi, we can just You can just say hi a little bit, but um, please take care of your heart. Um, Thank you for your practice. Be well, and I hope to see you again. Okay, so. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.